When Pastor Mike asked me to speak, I said I'd be happy to. It's a privilege to be back into this pulpit and to preach to you. It's, our family started out here many, many years ago, and we have had a wonderful, warm feeling for you. When we brought Mom back, you respected her and loved her. She just loves to come to church. She starts on Saturday night. And sometimes we hear her up at 4 o'clock getting ready to come to church. So thank you for that. And uh, we certainly watched your staff. They've done a fantastic job while Pastor Mike's been away. And I know you want to say thank you to them. They have held this thing together. In fact, I think it's been growing through the summer. And I think you've got a great staff. After being around churches for a long, long time, I believe that you have the expectancy, the energy, the excitement of uh, greater days ahead. And that God is going to do something very special at Trinity Wesleyan Church. Now, I want to talk to you this morning about the story of the Good Samaritan, we titled the message, Who is My Neighbor? And I want to read quite a long passage of scripture. We don't normally read this much, but I'd like for us to get the whole story. So it'll be on the screen behind me, or if you have your Bibles, it will uh, be in Luke. So here we go, and follow along if you will. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. And he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who also showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Some years ago when I was doing research and looking into this particular passage of scripture, I came across a sermon that Martin Luther King preached, and it grabbed my heart in such a way that I've been sharing it with people ever since. Now, there are two questions that I want to lay out for you today 
And I hope that if you take nothing else home, you'll never, ever forget the two questions that we'll be coming back to again and again as we talk about this story. Now, I like to step into the stories if I possibly can. And so if you'll just allow me to step into that road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and we look into the ditch where we find a man who's been bruised and bleeding. In fact, the Bible says he's left half dead. His clothing is almost all gone, and he is unconscious. Now, chance has it that a priest, a man of the cloth, comes by, and he looks into the ditch, sees the man, but the Bible says he hurried by on the other side. We don't know all of the things that he was thinking. Perhaps he had a job to get to. Perhaps he was on an errand for his family. Perhaps he was afraid that he might get robbed if he stayed there himself. But we do know that he asked the first question that I want you to remember. And that question was this. If I stop and get involved in the life of this man, what will happen to me? If I stop and get involved in the life of this man, what will happen to me? The scripture says that soon another man came down the road, a Levite, an individual who was around the church a lot, perhaps a staff member, one who worked closely with the church and the temple. Same man, same ditch, same blood, same gore, same situation. And the Levite hurried by on the other side, asking himself the same question. If I stop and get involved in the life of this man, what will happen to me? If you fast forward, the Bible says soon a third individual came by, a Samaritan. An individual that was not high in the culture of that day. But as he came by and looked into the ditch, he had a different reaction. He stopped, bound up the wounds, took the man to an inn, paid for his bills, and said, I'll come back and pay the rest when time allows. And he must have been asking a different question, Jackie, as he went by that day. And this is the question he asked. If I don't get involved in the life of this man, what will happen to him? Just a few words different, but it changes this thing totally. If I get involved, what will happen to me? If I don't get involved, what will happen to him? Wow. Across the years, I've had the opportunity to serve on some university boards, and one of those was located in Canada. For eight years, I would drive up across Maine, and even if you started in New York, it took 12 hours to get to this school. Maine is a large, large state, desolate, by the way, inhabited by a few people and a bunch of moose. But uh, we drive up across, across uh, Maine into Canada, have our board meeting on Friday, Friday night, a meal. And uh, they asked me to preach the chapel sermon for this Bible college. And I labored over it and prayed over it and said, God, I really would like to inspire these young people. 
And so I preached, who is your neighbor? I thought I preached it with power, and I thought I preached it with unction, and I thought I had a little humor in there, and I went away feeling very, very good. Now, I always left on Saturday morning and crossed back into the United States at a town called Callis. I knew it was two hours from the school to the crossing, and immediately after I got across back into the United States, I would stop at the first convenience store and fill up with gas and see if there was any candy that I needed to take with me on the rest of the trip. <laughs> this day was no exception. I pulled in, filled up the car, and went into the front door. And as I did, Joe, as I did, a man was wrapped in a green hoodie, shaking violently as he stood near the front door. I made a wide berth around him and went into the restroom. Now I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you something you may not have thought of before. You ready guys? God can see you in your restroom because he joined me there that day. And this is what he said, Paul, did you see the man out there? I said, Lord, I did. And he looks bad, doesn't he? He said, yes. Paul, I asked you a question. Uh, did you see him? Lord, I told you I did. Paul, aren't you the guy that preached that message yesterday about the questions and about if you see somebody in the ditch? And I said, Lord, you don't expect us to do what we preach, do you? <laughs> it's a lot more fun to preach it than it is to live it. Well, he and I had an argument about, I came up with every excuse. I've got 10 more hours to drive, God. I haven't seen Susan for a few days. I'm sure there's chores that need to be done. Lord, he might have to go to the hospital. Something might be wrong, and I might have to get involved. And, Lord, you know I don't have any money in my budget for this if I had to get involved financially. Well, you can't stay in a convenience store restroom all day. <laughs> you finally have to come out. And so I did tentatively. And he was gone. Now, would you tell me what emotion I felt at that particular moment when I saw he wasn't there? Some people say you probably felt guilt. But that was not, that was not what I was feeling. I was feeling relief. I don't have to walk down and make those choices. I did go to the girl behind the cash register and say, did you see the man that was here in the green hoodie? She said, yes, and he looked bad. I said, where did he go? She said, I don't know, he left. And I went outside and looked around, but Jim, I did not look very hard. And I got in my car and started across Maine and 
God kept having a conversation with me about the two questions. If I stop and get involved in the life of this man, what will happen to me? If I don't get involved in the life of this man, what will happen to him? Occasionally, my wife Susan, and she loves a dinner and a movie. That's the way she grew up, and so she'll come and say, Paul, we need to see a blockbuster that, uh, that's going on. And I remember the day she said, we ought to go see Schindler's List. I didn't know a lot about the Holocaust. But as I sat and watched that, it just, it just blew me away. I had similar emotions when I went to see Passion of the Christ. 300 people from the church in that theater. And when we were done watching what Jesus went through for us on that cross, there wasn't a word spoken by anyone that I could hear all the way to the car. One day she came, said, Paul, there's this blockbuster out that uh, I think we might enjoy. It's about a boat, that, a ship that left England. It was unsinkable. And something happened in the North Atlantic, and it sunk. And so we found ourselves watching the Titanic. After seeing that, it impacted me so much that I began to do some more research and discovered that because it was unsinkable, they didn't put enough lifeboats on it. 2,200 and some odd people, lifeboats only good for a little over 1,100. And you know the story of how it hit the iceberg in the Atlantic and in just a little while broke apart and went down. 20 lifeboats, 20 lifeboats. And all but two left the Titanic half full or less. That blew me away. But then I researched a little more and discovered only two went back to pick up the lost people in the ocean. I brought a clip that I'd like for you to watch today. Remember the two questions we're asking ourselves. If I stop and get involved in the life of this situation, what will happen to me? If I don't stop and get involved in the situation, what will happen to them? Your job is to help pick out the two individuals who are asking those questions, perhaps by using different words, but they're still asking those questions. So we're going to roll that clip for you right now. Put your backs into it. Pull! 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 
Suction will pull us down if we don't keep going. We've lots more room. I say we go back. No! It's our lives now, not theirs. And I'm in charge of this boat, madam. Now row! So easy to spot, isn't it? We've got to go back. We've plenty of more room. No. It's our lives, not theirs. We're not going back. Now, row. What will happen to me if I get involved? Or what will happen to them if I don't? get involved. After I'd preached this a few times, one of my friends emailed and says, Paul, you need to know the rest of the story. And I was filled in with the fact that there was a pastor on board that ship. His name was John Harper. His wife had died and he had his little daughter, Annie, six years of age, taking her to the States. And when they hit the iceberg and things begin to fall apart. He put her in one of the little boats and said, Daddy, will try to see you soon. Donned a life jacket, and soon he was thrown into the icy waters with all the others who didn't make it into the boat. The, bi or the, the story tells us that John Harper began to swim from person person to person asking this question do you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior have you accepted Jesus Christ and there among the debris as people clung to pieces of wood and they began to pray the sinner's prayer and invite Christ into their life one man swore at him and said no I don't know him I don't even believe in him. And I certainly am not going to turn to him now. Pastor Harper swam away to talk to another. But soon he went back and took his life vest off and gave it to the atheist and said, Sir, you're going to need this worse than I. Soon John Harper died went down to an icy tomb in the North Atlantic. Who told the story? How do we know it's true? The atheist who survived, who was no longer an atheist, who had made a change in his life. If you go to Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge, they have a replica of the Titanic. When you buy your ticket, they will give you a ticket of somebody that was on that ship. I walked up there six weeks after open heart surgery. Shouldn't have been there, but I was. And I said, could I have John Harper's ticket? The lady without batting an eye said, sure. 
and you could get that same ticket when you go if you ask for it. If I get involved in the life of this person, what will happen to me? Or if I don't get involved, what will happen to them? As they shared with you earlier, Susan and I are finishing our 49th year of ministry. Many of those years were pastoral ministry. Others were coaching and consulting with churches and pastors. If you ask very many people about my track record, they would say he cares about people. He does his best to help people step across the line and find Jesus as their personal Savior. The last 27 months, I've been consulting and coaching in the states of Georgia and Alabama and Mississippi. And that gig is coming to an end. COVID's over. And I said, you know, I just need to get out of the house. Anybody ever felt like they needed to get out of the house? I'm sorry you didn't answer the question. And so I started doing some ride share. I think it's called Lyft or Uber. And uh, I didn't know it would impact me as much as it has. Hamatsu picked him up in Seneca and I said, where are you going? Charlotte? So I had two hours with an Indian man who shared with me about the cultures and the gods, the many gods that they use in the Indian culture. When he got out of the car, I said, Hamatsu, based on our conversation, what two or three things do you think you'll be doing? He said, number one, I'm going to start a savings account. You know, I am a life coach, so you got to slide that stuff in. And number two, I'm going to get a Bible and start reading it. And I rode back down the road from Charlotte, and I'm thinking, who is going to get involved in that man's life? Who's going to reach out? Are we going to be selfish? Or are we going to care? Katie got into the car, had a pretty long ride. What's going on in your world? Oh, it's fine. But in a little while, it wasn't fine. And the stories begin to come. I cannot tell you how many people get out of that car. Tears in their eyes. Because God has come. And we've prayed. But here's the deal. Here's what I keep asking. There's 8 billion people now in the world. And am I going to just park myself in a retired state somewhere off in a little idyllic place and care only about myself? If I get involved in these people's lives, what will happen to me? 
or am I going to say, I want to get involved? If I don't, what will happen to them? What will happen to them? Paul, there's too many. You can't help them all. I know. That's what the little boy said to Grandpa when they were walking on the beach, looking at all the sand dollars, and the Grandpa would get throw them into the ocean. Grandpa, there's too many. You're not going to make a difference. <laughs> and he said, made a difference in that one. And we're going to close our eyes here in a minute. And we're going to pray. I don't know what God has said to you. And it's really difficult for a visiting pastor or a visiting preacher to come in and in 30 minutes connect with a congregation. It's, it's difficult. You're looking at me like the calf looks at the new barn door. Who is this guy? But it's not about me. This is about what God is saying to us in our heart and mind. And I just believe that he's going to bring somebody to your mind that maybe you need to bake a pound cake and bring to him, Or walk across the street. Or just listen. Could I suggest that there's a world of people just want somebody to listen? And you can build bridges. And you can't do it for everybody. But what if you just did it for one? So let's bow our heads. Can we do that? Father, I don't know what you're saying to us today. I know that I've talked about who is my neighbor. We've told the story that you told. We've talked about the questions. But the Holy Spirit is in the room and perhaps you are bringing a face or a name of somebody that we can reach out to and touch, understanding that the Holy Spirit can go with us and do beyond anything we've ever, ever thought. So thank you for being here. Thank you for what you're saying and doing in the lives of the people. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Now, I determined that I would try to do this in 30 minutes. Have I done fairly well? I'm sorry, I didn't understand that answer. Okay, good. You guys enjoy your week. And remember the questions. Let's see if you've got them. If I, don't, if I get involved in the life of this man, what will happen to? If I don't get involved in the life of this person, what will happen to? Good. Go with God.